basically the the magazine um at least i have really pushed hard to make sure that the magazine is a reflection of the new organization so we we really we have a, a section that's totally focused on conservation initiatives conservation activities we have a section that's totally focused on fly fishing skills and fly casting we have always a fly casting uh column uh and then we also have uh fly tying that was Len Zickler letting us know what to expect from the next Fly Fisher Magazine edition from Fly Fishers International. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Please take a moment to click the subscribe button on your app of choice so you can help us find more people out there and so you don't miss the next episode, which is potentially Gunnar Bramer. In today's episode, I talk with Len Len Zickler, CEO of Fly Fishers International, uh, a.k.a. FFI. Len tells us the FFI story and how it began with Mel Krieger first uh, starting the casting certification, how Deck Hogan was a game changer early for Len, and why they made a recent change um, from FFF to FFI. Find out what the FFI Learning Center and the resources uh, they have and why they're helping uh, helping fishermen out there. Don't miss this one as Len announces his retirement on the show today and uh, who the next CEO is. This episode is sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, an all-American creator of fine, sustainable fly fishing gear. Stay tuned later in the show to hear how Ross does his part to uh, reduce his waste and impacts with DLD and how he builds uh, great equipment in a sustainable fashion. You can find fresh equipment designs on Instagram at Deli Fresh Design, and you can get 20% off your next order using the coupon code WFS20 at DeliFreshDesign.com. We're also sponsored by The Great Drake, who provides high-quality heritage fly fishing tackle while being a good steward of our uh, sport. The new Fall Run fly box they have available for 2019 features small and medium-sized clips on one side of the box and um, slotted cork on the other. Naturally self-healing and hydrophobic will hold flies from the smallest midge to the largest stoneflies. Head over to thegraydrake.com and use the coupon code WFS20. That's WFS20 at checkout to get 20% off your next order of Vintage Today. So, without further ado, here's Len Zickler from flyfishersinternational.org. How's it going, Len? Awesome. It's a beautiful morning this morning. I wish I was on the water, but I'll take this. All right, all right. Where where are you at now? Well, uh, actually, I am in uh, Spokane, Washington, and... uh, yeah, on my way to my office, but uh, yeah, it's, cool. it's a good, beautiful day, and and um, yeah, looking forward to this conversation. That's all. That's all. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, yesterday about Spokane, and what the heck do they say? I don't want to uh, uh, you know kind of rip on Spokane too much, but they were they were giving <laughs> they were giving it a hard time as a city. Like, I, oh, I know what it was. They were they were coming back across from some you know Montana trip, and they had to stay in a hotel there, and they said it was pretty rough. But I, you know, I've never I've always passed through. What, what's your? Have you spent some time in Spokane? Oh well, I I, I was born and raised in Spokane. Oh, there you and, go. Uh, yeah, grew up grew up actually on what we refer to as the West Plains of Spokane, just uh, just west of uh, the main city on uh, Stillwater and some spring creeks out there yeah, in the middle of wheat fields. And um, so, uh, you know, years and years ago, Spokane had a pretty sketchy uh, reputation. Uh, but in the last, probably in the last 20 years, it's really undergone a renaissance, uh, terrific restaurants, lots of great outdoor activities it's a mecca for recreational activity whether uh-huh. it's fishing or or enjoying lakes or skiing water skiing snow skiing uh yeah. hunting my gosh it's right it's, it's, got, uh, it it's got it's got everything here it's a beautiful place that's cool so yeah so there's not much to that the, she must have just read it to the the wrong part of town so it sounds like it's a pretty awesome place to, <laughs> to hang out oh well there's no excuse for for a bad hotel in spokane there's so many great choices Oh, there you go. There you Never go. Okay. Call me next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. I will. Okay, good. So, so yeah, we're uh, we're going to jump into you know some fly fishing and um, 
Fly Fishers International. That's going to be a focus here and all that. But yeah, maybe you could just take us back to how you first got into fly fishing. And we know already you, you started in Spokane, but how did how did you get into fly fishing? Then how did it all come? How did Fly Fishers International come to be? Yeah, sure. Um, like I said, I, I've been fishing since I was three or four years old, uh, bait casting with my uncle on still water, primarily in, on the West Plains. Uh, but in, uh, I, I like to say back at about 95, my wife, uh, made the mistake of buying me a fly rod. She thought, she thought I might enjoy fly fishing since I was an avid fisherman in general. Um, so she bought me this fly rod and, and it sat in my closet for about a year. And, um, I owned an engineering company in the Seattle area. And one of my, one of my engineers, one of my staff, staffers was a, was an, was an avid fly fisherman. And, and, uh, he actually, um, suggested on a field trip i'd bring my rod so he could check it out and maybe we could cast a little bit and uh he took one look at that i don't know i'm not even going to tell you what it was but it was a pretty cheap you know heavy butt uh uh excuse for a fly rod and he said glenn that's not going to work and so fortunately there was a little orbit shop at the top of the hill from from where we were fishing we were fishing on the little deschutes outside of olympia washington so we went up to the Sorvis shop and I bought a little basic, uh, clear water, um, introductory rod from Orvis and a, and a Rocky mountain reel cassette reel and got me all lined up. That's, that's more money than I've ever spent on a, and that was very inexpensive too, but it was more money I've ever spent on anything, you know, related to fishing. And so that was my start. And of course I was piling line like crazy and, and, uh, really struggling with the fly cast. You know, one of the things we learned pretty early as bait casters is that uh, that's not how you cast a fly line, right? Yep. <laughs> so I, I, I really wanted to uh, become a better caster. Um, I think the movie had been out uh, by that time. And, of course, we were, we were all taken by, uh, yep. by the beauty of the fly cast. And so I actually sought out some, some instruction at the local fly shops and still struggled for a long time. And. There's a, you probably know the, the, the person by the name of Deck Hogan, oh, yeah. um, who's an incredible um, steelhead fisherman on the, uh, in the Northwest here. Uh, so I went to, he, he was hosting a little trip to a private lake, um, Isaac's Ranch and out uh, in eastern Washington. And, and uh, Deck was there and, and uh, I, I had bought, you know, an expensive pontoon boat and all my fancy gear and all, all my friends and buddies that were part of this trip, they had all their gear. Of course, they've been fishing for decades and they knew what they were doing. And I got out there and I looked like a fool. <laughs> and, uh, but primarily my problem was my cast and, and deck watched me and, and said, Hey Len, you know, you, you need to speed up your cast and, and then include a stop yeah. <laughs> in the back cast and the forecast. And all of a sudden, I mean, I had been struggling all day long, hadn't caught a darn thing, didn't even know how to tie a fly on my tippet. Hmm. And so he, he helped me. He took a half an hour, spent a little bit of time with me, and all of a sudden I was casting much better than I had been. And I, and I, and I actually caught a couple fish that day. Everybody else, you know, had, had 20, 30, 40 fish, and I had two. But, so those are the most expensive fish I've ever caught in my life. But... <laughs> I really, I really was so excited uh, to have gained, you know, sort of a journey of self-discovery. And that day, I kind of discovered, okay, this is, I'm getting this. I, I, I finally get how to do this. So I decided I really wanted to improve my casting. And so at that time, the Federation of Fly Fishers, our old name, our old organization, had a casting certification program. And so I thought, you know, that's a merit badge I need. So I actually pursued um, some additional instruction with the goal of getting my casting certification, which I did. I was able to do that. And um, so that's how I began. That was back in like 1999, 2000. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I, I just, I, I owned an engineering company and, and my specialty was uh, water quality. And so I found, I discovered the sport of fly fishing that was pretty closely tied to, you know, my passion for clean water and, and healthy habitat hmm. and, uh, and that's fly fishing. And, and so that's where my journey began and, and I got involved in, in um, club activities. I, I got involved with the Washington State Council of, of uh, 
uh, Federation of Fly Fishers. And then later, I was back, actually asked to join some committees at the National, and that's kind of where I landed uh, in my recent gig. So, wow, that's great. That's a uh, yeah. That's an awesome story. I, I uh, you know, a lot of things come to mind. You know, as you're talking there, one of them is on the casting certification because that's a big. I think at least when I first thought about FFI, you know, or FFF, you know, casting certification, right. I think is what brought me into it. I started thinking about that and hearing about it. You know, it, it seems yeah. like casting certification, I've had, you know, a few people on here that where we've talked about it and some people where really it changed, you know, their lives really get going through that. So you went through it not thinking of, uh, it doesn't sound like being a guide or something like that. Do a lot of people go through that even though they're not really necessarily getting into the the fly fishing you know in, industry sort of thing or do they just go there to become better casters do you, is that pretty common i i would say that's pretty common i think people want to be become better casters i, I know that was uh that was my desire I, i've also been very interested in education and so i i realized that if i had that certification then I'd be qualified or better qualified. At least I have some credentials to suggest that I might know what I'm talking about when it comes to teaching fly casting. So okay. that was kind of secondary for me. I just wanted to be a better caster. Yeah. Regard, regarding guides, um, you know, casting certification is, is, um, it, is, is really difficult. And, and some would suggest it's, it's too difficult. Yeah. Was it difficult and, for and you? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, I actually sought out, um, folks who are on the uh, casting board of governors who, uh, you know, one of the things about the Pacific Northwest, particularly in the Seattle area, we actually had three or four people in the, who are master casting instructors who are on our board of governors. Hmm. So I actually went to them and, uh, and, and got specific instruction that was focused and they really emphasized, uh, and, and this is fairly typical. Uh, most guides are, are outstanding fly fishermen, uh, great casters and outstanding fly fishermen. But what they, if there's anything that they lack, it's ability and ability to really communicate how to, how to teach, Mm -hmm. uh, fly casting, but also diagnose specific issues. And that's something that is really part of the, of the casting certification program is that sort of diagnosis and troubleshooting piece. And, um, so I'll just share when I, when I took my test, uh, finally got felt prepared enough to take the test was back in about 2004. There were eight of us that took the test. Uh, we were at the, um, Oh, it's, it's that recreational center or it's kind of a, an exhibit hall adjacent to what was the, the kingdom at the time, mm-hmm. downtown Seattle. Mm-hmm. There were eight of us that took the test. There's a written part. Um, so I aced the written part, um, but I was the only one that passed that day. And there were, I tell you, there were three or four outstanding guides. Hmm. I mean, guides who have been guiding forever. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that the cast was the issue. It was the, the teaching element that, that oh. was the issue for them. And many of them had, you know, had subsequently have gotten their yeah. certification. But so that's, that's yeah. you know, our emphasis is really on communication and, and education uh, and when it te- comes to certification. Yeah. And that teaching element, the pieces that, like you said, where people come to you as a, they want to learn to cast and as a teacher, you need to figure out how to diagnose, you know, their issues and solve that problem. Is yeah. That, that's part of the right. test that can be, a, that's a challenge or it can be a challenge. It can, it can be for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. No, that, that that explains. I, I just didn't realize. You know, it, it's good to hear your perspective on that, and and we'll dig more into you know some of this as we get. But uh, just quickly, I, I wanted to jump in before we get too far along, just on the history. And um, you know, one thing that comes sure. to mind recently, you guys, you know, you've changed from. Well, maybe you could start off first talking about. I don't think we've even talked about your position currently, but let's talk about your position, what you what you do there, what you have done, and then, and then the FFF versus FFI. Why why the change in, in naming or the acronym there? Yeah, that's, those are all really good questions and important questions that we felt needed to be addressed and answered. But um, yeah, my my involvement at the national level started in. 2014, I was actually asked to chair the committee to find my replacement, uh, uh, president and CEO. Our president and CEO at the time had announced his desire to step down or retire, 
And um, so it was recommended we form a, a search committee to accomplish that. And and for whatever reason, I was nominated chair of that search committee. That was in 2014. Um, and then uh, after a couple of years, um, he he actually stepped down. And I didn't feel, and the committee that was involved didn't feel really ready to well, one of the first questions we asked is, is this position going to continue to be a part-time uh, volunteer position, president and CEO, or should we move to a full-time professional executive director or yeah, executive officer? Um, and the strong majority of board members at the time felt that we were ready and desired to go to a full-time executive director or president and CEO, you know, professional paid position similar to other organizations that we aspire to, like Trout Unlimited or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, folks, you know, organizations who are doing a wonderful job for their sport, for our sport. Um, and so we decided to go to a full-time but uh, executive director, but one of, the, one of the concerns that we all had was we had no strategic plan, strategic direction. If I were to, were to have been, or if anyone were to have been interviewed for that position back in 2014 or 2015, one of the first questions I'd ask is, well, where are you guys headed? What's your plan? Do you have a strategic plan? Have you thought about it? You know, where have you been and where are you headed? And we couldn't answer any of those questions because we didn't have it. There had been some volunteers who had worked on it, but because of um, uh, sort of leadership issues, uh, we had never gotten to the point of, of actually calling for a vote in support of a strategic direction. Mm-hmm. So that's where, that's where I started. Um, by the way, I'm a professional planner. And so I, it really bothered me that this wonderful organization had no strategic plan. Right. So we set about, we actually, a group of us got together in Denver, Colorado in 2015. And we set about to uh, develop, begin to develop the framework for a strategic direction and a strategic plan. And then once we had that in place, the next thing we needed to do was really investigate our, our finances. Um, we had received a couple of pretty significant um, uh, contributions, donations to the organization that we wanted to guard and protect, you know, jealously. So we actually put some restrictions in terms of uh, we wanted to make sure that we had held that money for at least three years. Mm-hmm. So we really weren't in a position financially to take the step to hire a full-time executive director at the time. So I moved from that committee chair to actually chairman of the board for, for a year, along with a couple other folks. And then from chairman of the board, I actually was appointed uh, the interim uh, president and CEO so that occurred in 2016. So 16, 17. Yeah. So I've been at it for this would be my third year. So that's kind of the the transition. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're aware, the organization's been around since 1965, um, when Lee Wolf and uh, several other icons of our sport, you know, decided that hey, there was a need for a national fly fishing organization. And they called them, you know, they, they sort of described themselves as a loose federation, a loose uh, affiliation of, of, uh, of clubs um, that should come together to really promote the, the art and science of, of fly fishing and uh, with a primary goal of, of really conserving our resources. So, you know, their vision was, you know, uh, at the time, the Federation of Fly Fishers as being a, uh, a conservation-oriented organization. That was in 65. And then over the years, uh, the next really four decades, um, the organization you know, continued primarily at the grassroots level as a, a loose affiliation of these clubs hmm. that would get together on an annual basis you know, and, and have a little club party. They called it the conclave at the hmm. time. Uh, and they would offer classes. Uh, one of the icons of the sport, a fellow that was one of my, I, I claim as one of my mentors was Mel Krieger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mel, you know, every summer along with other really outstanding fly fishermen, fly casters, you know, would, would teach, you know, a variety of fly fishing, uh, classes, including a, a variety of, um, casting classes. It was, um, 
Mel came up with the idea and a couple others of a uh, uh, of this casting certification mm-hmm. program, which was developed in the mid early 1990s, mid 1990s, and then um, and it's become what it has become. Now we have you know the uh, a CI, the sort of the basic level, a certified casting instructor, at the basic level. We have a master's category. We actually have a two-handed category mm-hmm. uh, as well. So we have those. That that became a very very successful and popular uh, program. The other vision that that Mel and others had at the time was the concept of developing a fly fishing academy, kind of. Um, uh, Orvis 101 on steroids, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we tackled in our strategic plan in 2015 was this concept of developing a an academy. We weren't sure if we wanted to call it academy because yep. we really felt it was important for us to do something more virtually, something that would be very accessible to, to the general public, but also our members online. Um, big shift in that direction rather than, well, whereas Academy almost suggests a static location, a building or something. Mm-hmm. So we, we really, uh, searched and talked and, and, um, uh, debated, uh, what we should call it. And, um, so here's two and a half years ago, we actually came up with the moniker, the learning center. And so we now have, uh, FFI or Fly Fishers International has what we call our Fly Fishing Learning Center. Um, which has a comprehensive list of curriculum, uh, study guides, uh, student guides, teachers' guides, um, and, and very strong descriptors that are all available on our website for for the use of our members and uh, clubs and councils across, really across the world, but certainly here in the United States. And uh, and that's a big part of our of our new direction is uh, really strengthening. Uh, the curriculum that's offered in our learning center and then and making sure that people are aware that it exists and they can access it on our website um, for the most part for free um, and it, it's really outstanding so you know one of the things that we're trying to do is reach out to for example to to shops and the guides um, you know having a, a good uh, lesson plan in place when when you're when you're doing introductory fly fishing classes is important that's all available now on our website and so you can you can you know join uh, download that material and use it you know in in your business so it's very very valuable material right or you can use it just if you're somebody that wants to learn a little more about fly fishing just for the general public absolutely absolutely yeah. it's it's all about that right cool cool yeah i'll put a link in the show notes to that resource and and anything else we talk about here today i'll make sure that's easily available so yeah thanks for that's a good uh, clarification on where it came from and i did have lee yeah. wolf on um i've actually i just talked to joan wolf she's going to be on the show probably down the line here this summer and uh yeah i'm interested you know of course lee wolf uh you know, I'd love to hear more about the story there, and I'm sure you know a little bit about his background. But obviously, he was, you know, one of the big influencers uh, in the early days. I, I just did, did want to get back to you know. So basically, it sounds like can, uh, casting the certification, conservation, the academy. I mean, what do you say right now? Does um, you know, does FFI do best? Well, um, you know, back to that strategic direction. One of the things that we we really felt it was important for us to define is who we are and and what what is important what should be important to the community of fly fishers and so we actually have three pillars um uh conservation is is incredibly important to us uh education and you know whether it's fly tying or general fly fishing skills or fly casting so education is the second pillar and the third pillar is the community of fly fishers and doing what we can to support the community of fly fishers whether it's individual fly fishers or or clubs, uh, or or special groups like women's organiza- women's groups, or veterans, for example. So, or, or or youth like Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or 4-H. So that that's our our really important uh, part of our organization is doing what we can to reach out and share our knowledge, but also support that community of fly fishers. So those are the, those are the three. Mm-hmm. I'd say that our strength, what, what really sets FFI apart, is our focus on on education. I just uh, speaking about that briefly. Um, 
you know, I'm always asked the question, well, what's the difference between Trout Unlimited and Fly yeah. Fishers International? And first of all, let me say that Trout Unlimited, I'm a life member of Trout Unlimited, and uh, Trout Unlimited is another organization. And I was looking for, I want to be a better fly fisherman, a better caster, but I was also looking for an organization that had a strong uh, uh, ethic in, in, in protecting the environment. And that is Trout Unlimited. And uh, so uh, they're, they're really focused on the protection of um, cold water uh, habitat and, and trout fisheries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Fly Fishers International, uh, one of the things that sets us apart is, and, and probably one of maybe our biggest challenges, we are, we are, one of our monikers is all fish, all water. So not only are we interested in, in cold water trout, fisheries and streams, but we're also interested in saltwater, mm-hmm. warm water species. If it has anything to do with, you know, fly fishing or fish habitat, we are, we are you know, an organization that will be in it that's interested in protecting that and really doing what we can to promote um, folks' enjoyment of, of all gotcha. of those fisheries. H- hence hence so the uh, Fly yeah, Fishers and, International. Yeah, and TU, TU, their strength is really in their in their conservation work. Uh, we partner with TU all the time. Um, we're 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 kind of a a little you know add on to a lot of their great work. But if we're given an opportunity to support a, a habitat restoration project or some other environmental project that TU is doing, we're all over it. You know, just we just look for the invitation and and we'll support them both financially and and with our volunteers. So what really sets uh, FFI apart from TU, let's say, or other organizations like that is the education piece. So we have this comprehensive education program, uh, whether it's fly tying or casting or fly fishing skills or, or, or conservation. We have curriculum that we can use to help strengthen individuals as fly fishers, but also clubs and councils who are there to serve the fly fishing community. So, you know, um, that's kind of what sets us apart is the education component, the education element. Um, whereas I would say TU is, is really their strength is really on the conservation side of things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That, that uh, clarifies it for sure. And yeah, that's a pretty broad, you know, when you talk about just talking about cold water, you know, where TU is focused on kind of the North America stuff, that's a pretty broad sp- spectrum when you think about the, the number of species around the world and I have, I've interviewed you know uh, Jeff Currier was on and talked about how he's you know at 400 species and you know that doesn't even there's plenty more out there you know that's pretty right. broad how do you guys um, I mean it's a pretty you know the strategic you know plan and all that how, how do you you know how far do you look out and how do you know where to go next you know when you think about saltwater for example you know um one of the, one of the things that we think that we feel is very important. I mean, regardless of where you are in the United States or in North or South America or Europe or Australia, New Zealand, Japan, I don't care. Or Indonesia, for example, we have a real strong group of uh, fly uh, casting instructors in uh, yeah. New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia. One of the things that um, we're working on right now, we had to kind of attend to our just organizational needs uh, over the last three or four years, but we have developed an international committee. And so this, this, what I'm about to say applies not only internationally, but also domestically. So imagine the fly fishing community, whether you're saltwater or warm water or trout or, or steelhead or uh, whatever the case may be, uh, geographically distributed around the United States and around the world, you have fly fishers who have different interests, you know, different, different perspectives. There, there are, there are clubs or, or, um, individuals who have no interest in fishing whatsoever, <laughs> but they have a strong interest in tying flies, for example, huh, yeah. or they have a very strong interest in, in, in be, being better casters. Now, so, so their focus isn't so much on fishing, but on, particular elements and what we what our perspective would be is we want to support uh those individuals those clubs at the local level whether it's international or domestic 
uh, and and offer them the best curriculum, the best program that they can support they can have, whatever interests they might have. And so that's kind of our perspective is just making sure that we have really strong quality curriculum or programs in those various areas and support uh, the specific interests uh, that are occurring at the local level, at the individual and club levels. So uh, we have we have clubs, for example, affiliate clubs who are totally focused on um, the rehabilitation of uh, wounded veterans. Um, uh, one of our one of our partner organizations is Project Healing Waters Fly Fishing. So we probably have 70, 60, 70 affiliate Project Healing Water uh, Fly Fishing clubs. Their whole focus is to do what they can to help in the rehabilitation of the of uh, uh, injured uh, veterans, and and so that's an example, very specific. I mean, they're interested in fly tying and casting and rod building, uh, but their all their primary mission is to assist the you know the wounded veteran, uh, and and so that's that's an important part of our organization is to support. Um, affiliate or related uh, organizations like that. So it's an example of mm-hmm. we, we let it, uh, folks at the local level sort of define what their passion is, and we try to support their passion with good quality uh, curriculum and programs to self-support them. Let's take a quick break from a word from our sponsors. The Great Drake, since 2014, the Great Drake's mission has been to provide high-quality heritage fly fishing tackle while being good stewards of our sport. They use sustainable cork instead of silicone or foam inserts in their fly boxes. These cork inserts are naturally self-healing and hydrophobic and will not and will hold flies from the smallest midge to the largest stoneflies and hoppers. Be on the lookout for the new Fall Run fly box available in 2019. This aluminum fly box features small and medium-sized clips on one side and uh, on the other slotted cork, which is perfect for bombers and skaters. Conservation is the key with the Gray Drake, and they support a uh, great organizations including Utah Stream Access Coalition and Trout Unlimited's Wild Steelheaders United. Head over to thegraydrake.com to check out their classic selection of fly boxes and wallets today. We are also sponsored by Deli Fresh Design, a company that makes sustainable fly fishing gear in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Deli Fresh blends old waders and cordura canvas to make rugged river-tested gear such as fly wallets, koozies, and their classic sling packs. You can listen to the full podcast interview with Ross, the founder of DLD, uh, at episode 79 of, of this podcast. But take a quick listen to a short clip from that uh, interview that gives an example of how Ross reduces his waste uh, with his personal actions as a business and highlights his dedication to conservation. But as a company, I'm trying to reduce my impact uh, by riding a bike or taking uh, the bus or shared uh, shared cars, stuff like that on uh, for commuting. And then, you know, yeah, when I go fishing, I, I'll get in a car, but I, I try to go with other people. And, and so I think there's things that as consumers that we can do on a daily basis, not just not just to uh, to you know throw money at a problem. I think that's the last thing we should be doing is sort of deciding where we can uh, make an impact on a personal level. And I think my own mentality of doing those things on a daily basis, like driving or uh, riding a bike, uh, and then trying to see what uh, what materials I can use that reduce waste, or what I'm trying to do as a person and as a company. Let's help Ross. NDLD do great things today and this year for fly fishing and conservation. All of DFD's gear will help you spend more time casting and less time juggling your stuff. To see these great products, go to uh, Instagram and follow them where you can see their latest designs, or you can head over to delifreshdesign.com and use the coupon code WFS20 to get 20% off your next order. Okay, back to the show. You know, if you had somebody that wasn't aware of what you had going was new to it uh you know what would you tell them to like where to start you know say they don't know whether they want certification or or anything is there a easy kind of you know start here button sort of thing or what would you say yeah you know that that's a really good question um one of the things that you know when i first took took this position well, when I first got involved five years ago and and then as I got into um chairman of the board and and um and my current position as president and CEO, um, I would always be asked this question, and that is why, you know, I, 
okay, there's Fly Fishers International or Federation of Fly Fishers. Why should I join you guys? What, mm-hmm. What's in it for me? What do I get? What do I get for this? And so that was a really important question that we didn't really feel feel, feel we had a good, uh, you know, 30 or 60 second elevator speech to address yeah. that. You know, I always suggest that maybe the best way to answer that question is to talk about your personal journey. You know, what brought you to fly fish in the first place? So, one of the things that we've been trying to do is make sure that um, when we're asked that question, that we can respond in a way that is meaningful. So one of the things that we've done, you know, we have the, our casting certification program, which is like going to college to be a fly caster. Yeah. And a master's level is kind of like the master's degree or a PhD in fly casting, right? Um, so one of the things that that and. and and one of one of the things that's been a little frustrating to me as a certified fly casting instructor, sometimes the you know the certified casting instructors have this sort of we're perceived as being a bit elitist, you know, and arrogant, yeah. and uh, and and certainly there are some examples of that, unfortunately, that I can you know that's really frustrating to me, and so. One of the things that we decided to do and our, our fly tires are outstanding actually began to, to develop the skeleton program and that's called a, uh, a fly tying skills awards program. And so we've done the same thing with the casting program. We have a fly casting awards skill program. And so if somebody came to me who was interested in, you know, being a better caster or, uh, just a better fly fisher, um, what I would suggest is if your interest is in fly tying, uh, ta- start tackling the, the fly, um, tying awards program. Uh, so we have a bronze level, a silver and a gold. Same thing with the, uh, with casting skills awards program. We have a bronze, silver and gold, mm-hmm. uh, way. The bronze level is, I mean, gosh, um, with a, <clears throat> you know, a half a day or a one one day class and uh, with a skilled instructor, you could have your bronze certification pretty quickly. And those programs are designed as as very much a you know easy entry, uh, beginner oriented. Um, at the end of the day, you know you, you you actually see some positive progress, hopefully, which will generate some excitement and further interest in going further. And by the way, we've, we implemented the casting award skills program last year. The, the flight tying skills program has been around for probably about five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them are being just strongly embraced. Everybody's really excited about it. It's really exciting to see somebody, you know, after uh, some, some basic instruction, be able to, you know, achieve that bronze level of fly casting. So that's one of the things that we're trying to do is um, I always say, you know, it's not so important that people are, are casting tight loops, you know, yeah. uh, let's not worry about, you know, and actually you don't always want the tight loop. That's the thing, right? Sometimes you want, <laughs> that, an, op- you want an open correct. loop. <laughs> that's correct. You, sometimes you want an open loop. And so, and so what I've, what I've said is, you know, the most important thing we can do as casting instructors, for example, or as fly tying instructors is to simply engage people in the sport, get a fly rod in their hand. I I've, I've said this many, many times. I, I will never forget the first time I had a fly rod in my hand and I, it was my grandfather's fly rod. I found it in, a, in the boathouse out at uh, our family lake place out on Silver Lake, uh, west of Spokane. We took it off and it was all lined up, ready to go, took it to the end of the dock, and we flailed away. We had no idea what we were doing, okay? <laughs> but I can tell you that in July 1962, I had that fly rod in my hand, okay? We, 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 we were out there for about 15 minutes, got totally frustrated, took it back in the boathouse, put it away, and I, was, I didn't pick up another fly rod until, you know, 20 years later. And that, that was up at Priest Lake in North Idaho with a friend of mine who, was, who fancied himself as a fly fisher. And he, he was trying to do the same thing, teach me how to fly cast. Hmm. Had that rod. So I, I remember 1984. That yeah. was the next time I had a fly rod in my hand. And so to me, the important thing is getting a fly rod in the hands of people who might be interested yeah. because they will never forget. They'll never forget that. They'll hold that. 
and it may, may, may pay dividends, like in my case, 40 years later, you know, yeah. when I actually, when my wife bought me that, that stupid, you know, chunky fly rod, um, you know, I, now, gosh, it's, it's really been a, a very important part of our life for the last 25 years. So it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy how things evolve, you know? That is cool. I'm glad you hit on the fly casting skills. Actually, uh, Kelly Freeman in the Facebook group had, that was a question that, uh, she wanted me to ask. So I'm glad you answered that. And, yeah. that, and actually on the fly tying, definitely you're doing something, uh, definitely good there because I, I, you know, I think the word's getting out on that. I've heard some feedback, some chatter people are liking you know, what's going on there. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's good stuff. Um, I was going to check in just a little bit with, I mean, you have some other things, you know, out there, the, the FFI fair, the magazine, you know, some things that we probably won't have a lot of time to, to get into, but you know, with the magazine, that's something that I know, you know, you've has been out there and you've made some changes and thing. What do you, how would you explain that magazine, what that's all about for somebody who's never read it before? And how do they yeah, get their hold well, of, is that you have to sign up to, to get a hold of that magazine? Yeah, you, you do. Uh, you, uh, you don't have one of the best ways to find that magazine. And I, I, I shouldn't be promoting this, but if you were to go to any of the regional, regional events, regional fairs, uh, or the, the fly fishing show oh, that, sure. that Ferenski's put yeah. on around the country and, and then go to the FFI booth, we always have, uh, lots of giveaway copies of that magazine. We're going to have tons of them at the expo here in Bozeman coming up in a couple weeks. So, um, and actually, we, we did a little bit of an experiment. This last issue, we actually had it at Barnes and Noble on the on, on the newsstand. And so, um, but so you can buy a copy of it, or uh, you can actually join the organization. And I think it was a ten dollars surcharge to get a copy of the magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, the the magazine, um, at least I have really pushed hard to make sure that the magazine is a reflection of the new organization. So we, we really, we have a, a section that's totally focused on conservation initiatives, conservation activities. We have a section that's totally focused on fly fishing skills and fly casting. We have always a fly casting uh, column. Uh, and then we also have uh, fly tying. And then we also, we try to, we, one of the things that we try to do in that magazine you know, uh, we want to make sure uh, we've been accused. And actually, this is something that we still have, have to do a lot of work on, as being an old white guy organization. Right. You know, the average age the average age of the organization when I joined was like sixty nine. No kidding. You know, and and primarily wow. white males, right? Huh. And so, one of the things that we've really tried to do over the last three years is whatever we can to actually change the makeup of of the organization one piece of that change is making sure in everything we think say and do it looks like the kind of people that we, we want to be part of the organization so we we you know um we we do want to attract uh, a lot more diversity to the organization we'd love to have i think we're up to over you know, 10% now are women, whereas when I started, yeah. it was about 8%. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're making some positive strides. We have a long ways to go. We yep. really have a long ways to go. So so regarding the magazine, the magazine was totally repurposed and redesigned. So it not only covers our three pillars, but we also want to make sure that we, we have an internet, we, we present you know, ourselves from an international perspective, but also in, t- in terms of the different user groups that are part of our organization, whether it's Women's Connect or or youth or veterans, we, we want to make sure that the magazine reflects, you know, everything we're trying to accomplish as an organization for the fly fishing community. Right. Nice. So that's, that's, that's the magazine. One, one, I will, t- I will tell you this. Um, we have a bit of a debate going on organizationally about the, the future of paper, <laughs> the future of, uh, of continuing to print paper, you know. That, that, I'm glad. I just want to hit on that. I think that's an awesome point because I actually in a recent episode, yeah. I had somebody that um, they called out TU on that same note. They basically said right. they, they love TU, but they, they received so much paperwork in the mail that they, they unsubscribed or they, you know, they got out of TU because yeah. of that reason. Yeah, no, I, I'll I'll have to uh, echo that. I, you know, as a life member, uh, when you join as a life member, you you, you really get the privilege of uh, 
of uh, cutting hundreds of trees down every year. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I get I get I get probably every three weeks an appeal from from TU for yep. you know support their very valuable programs. So one of the things that we are examining as an organization, I mean, here we are, we we call ourselves conservationists, and yet we have this focus on on paper. And I mean, we use recycled paper and all of that, uh, but the, the the printing and delivery process is is uh, very expensive and not very responsible from an environmental perspective. And I don't want to sound like an environmental wacko, but as a practical matter, you know, if we call ourselves a conservation organization, one of the things that we ought to think about is you know how do, how do we operate what can we do to really you know do a better job for our planet you know uh, so one of the things that that uh, we're exploring is is the the concept of going more digital in our um, in, in, in the concept is is to perhaps begin to focus on or develop a take a step to develop a digital magazine where we can uh, uh, where we can um, uh, uh, present our our message uh, in a in a much more um, uh, it, with a lot more flexibility and a lot mm-hmm. more creativity. So we can embed videos, uh, have live interview or not live interview, you know, conversations with folks. Uh, uh, just a lot more flexibility, and it'll allow us to to uh, reach out to our membership or those interested in the fly fishing community on a on a more regular basis, um, yeah. you know, rather than twice a year in the magazine, you know, every month or every every two weeks or shoot, every you know, every day, maybe a different message in, in some different form. Um, it, just as an example, uh, we rolled out what we call our Anthem video here three years ago. Uh, I'd invite you to check it out on, mm-hmm. on YouTube or Vimeo. It's four minutes long, and it really it was produced by Brickhouse Creative out of Bozeman, Montana. Uh, David Thompson and his staff are just oh my god, outstanding. They actually were uh, helped uh, Yellowstone forever uh, in in their repurposing and you know uh, in their work. They produced that video for us, and that video really explains pretty well. Uh, who we are and what we want to be in terms of the future of fly fishing. So it's a, you know, it's a great video, but what I wanted to share with you is um, that video was, was developed and posted on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And then also um, uh, David and his crew was able to distribute it through other outlets. Um, uh, Listserv, you know, they were able to actually take advantage of listservs that it, that existed we actually got over a hundred thousand views okay. of that of that clip and um, from a social media perspective I think we're up to something over 800 um, engagements mm-hmm. uh, or excuse me share no 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 30,000 engagements and about 800 shares mm-hmm. which I'm told is pretty remarkable and not just one clip so I saw that I thought you know you know, we need, we need to yeah. we need to take a different approach of presenting ourselves rather than all those paper and these magazines that go out every to primarily to our members. Right? right. We have um, uh, twelve. I think we have four or five thousand subscribers, but they're already part of the club. So these not new people that are getting the magazine. No. These are people that are part of our organization. So you know, a better way to do this sort of communication is use is the power of this digital media that we now have. And so again, Brickhouse Creative is managing our social media for us. They're doing a remarkable job just in terms of they're asking very engaging questions and really getting, you know, um, users to respond very positively. And it's, it's been, it's been fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, the uh, uh, Pat Flynn is a guy that I follow out there, and he's got this saying that is pretty much, you know, be everywhere. And that's, I think, this day and age, right. you know, it's good to have a little bit of everything. You know, the, the magazines are great because some, some people love that. But, uh, yeah, there's some people, especially the younger generation, that, uh, you know, they, they'd much rather watch a video or, or something else or, you know, or a podcast, it's, right? It's, it's interesting. I uh, My wife and I occasionally have an opportunity to get out of town and, We've we've got some adult children that will watch our house for us, and and of course, I love the newspaper. I read the newspaper every day, delivered to my doorstep. We come home from vacation here last summer, 
and there are like seven newspapers stacked on the front porch. It's like, <laughs> guys, <Yep. laughs> there are two yeah. problems with this. One, you're not reading the newspaper, and two, <laughs> they're stacked up on their front porch. Everybody knows we're not home. So, so, but you know, that's that's youth. Yeah, they they don't. Younger people are not engaged with the old media um, formats as 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 I was or as our parents were. You know, they yeah. they 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 have so many other ways of reading the news and engaging with topics of interest to them. And uh, and we just need to you know keep that in mind and 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 um, and somehow begin to incorporate those approaches into our communication approach as well. Nice, nice, yeah. Well, let's. Uh, we I've got a, you know some other questions on here. I think we'll, we'll try to get to, but we might run out of time. So I wanted to get into just quickly, kind of a rapid fire round to, to kind of wrap this thing up or get us towards the end here. And um, sure, th- these are just uh, some questions, some random questions, some stuff that I think you know hopefully might be interesting. But started off the first thing. I mean, do you have a common question that that you get or you think FFI gets that you kind of have to field a lot? Well, I've, I've mentioned a couple of them. One is, uh, you know, what's in it for me. Um, yeah. Uh, and the other question is, you know, uh, what's in it for me? Why should I join your organization? And the, and the other question is what sets you apart from some of these other, you know, uh, outdoor sports or yeah. conservation organizations. And, and so those are the sort of the big questions I, I always get. And yep. one of the, yeah, regarding the conservation questions, um, our organization has been really skilled at playing hide the ball for the last 45 years. You know, we've been involved in conservation activities, conservation projects at the local club level, at the council level for decades, but nobody knew anything about it. I remember a local club member once uh, on this question related to why should I, why should I, you know, continue to be part of FFI? You guys aren't doing anything. And so, (laughs) It's not that we weren't doing anything. It's just that we were Let playing hide know. the ball. We weren't yeah. telling anybody. That's right. And so one of the things that's really cool right now is we have an incredibly engaged conservation committee. We have conservation grants that we're giving out on a, on a regular basis. We, we, we've got money in that, in that bucket, and we're pleading with people to reach out to us and apply for these conservation grants. We're doing remarkable work. Not only in the United States, but around the world, we 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 uh, funded a project or helped fund a project in Tibet um, on the uh, uh, restoration or preservation of a free flowing river in in uh, in you know uh, the Himalayas. It was a fantastic project. So you know that's one of the things that I get a lot of questions about. What are you guys doing on the conservation yeah. side of things? And we're doing a much better job now, not only funding those projects, but letting people know what we're doing. Gotcha. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's kind of from my perspective too. I didn't know a lot about the organization and really the casting instruction was the main thing that I always thought of. And I, yeah, I had no idea really on the conservation end at all. So that's, that's good. You guys are getting more of the word out yeah. there. What is, um, you know, what do you think is something, uh, maybe this is on the same lines, but something, uh, you know, nobody knows about FFI. Well, uh, you know, I've, I've touched on a couple of those. Um, uh, people are not aware, uh, as much aware as I'd like them to be about the curriculum that's available at the learning center, mm-hmm. um, on all categories. And then I also, um, same thing with our casting skills awards program and our, um, and our fly tying award skills program. Both of those are very important, uh, programs that are have just been developed here in the last um, couple of years and so they're in their infancy and so that's another area where we're, we're working hard to let people know that the curriculum exists and yeah. that we you know we really want to uh, you know we want to do what we can to um, get that word out so people can take advantage of that great curriculum that's being developed nice yeah that's huge I'm definitely going to dig in all and like I said I'll put a, a link to the show notes to all that I'm uh, definitely look forward to checking that out what is um, well? Here, here's one for you. Finish, uh, finish the sentence, sort of thing. Uh, uh, so, finish the sentence. Fly fishing needs. Uh, more diversity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. More diversity. Uh, you know, I, 
it used to be people would suggest that fly fishing was expensive, so we needed more affordable equipment. All that right. doesn't exist anymore. No. I mean, gosh sakes, there's so many great choices. You can buy a, a, a really a nice quality outfit for a fraction of what it used to cost. Yep. And how did that so, happen? How did know. that, was that the, was that just the normal market, uh, you know, industry responding to the market and sort of, or did uh, groups like yourself have, have an influence on, on that whole thing of, you know, you know, no, I give credit to the industry in that regard. I mean, it's the sort of the power of, of capitalism, I suppose, yeah. uh, you know, market forces, yep. uh, you know, not everybody could afford a $800 sage, um, fly rod yep. or, or G Loomis, you know, um, so people were looking for more affordable approaches. And I think, uh, TFO and echo mm-hmm. kind of mid range have done a wonderful job in that area. Um, you know, they, they, they reached out to organization like Lefty Cray, for example, and, and others, uh, to one promote their products, but also pr- promote fly fishing in general mm-hmm. and, and then, uh, develop products that are really, uh, approachable, affordable, um, you know, for, for particularly for beginners. Um, Sage has even done that. I mean, I think that's one of the transitions in the industry. Uh, we're seeing, uh, they, they're still producing these very high quality, uh, fly rods, but they also have, you know, brands that are much more affordable and they're, they're getting them in, in local sporting goods outlets so that uh, people can easily access the sport. As a matter of fact, I have a son-in-law yesterday who said, Hey, we're, I, I really need to buy a, I want to, you know, really get into fly fishing, but I don't want to spend a lot of money. Where can I find a good rod? And so I say, hey, Sportsman's Warehouse, uh, take a look at the Reddington package. I said, don't do five, six, get a five weight for our, for our waters in the Pacific Northwest. You know, you're going to get a three piece with a case, uh, reel and a, and a, and a fly line. And it's, it's the best deal for less than 140 bucks. It's, it's fantastic. You know, yeah. I've got bath gear that, you know, costs 500 bucks. So, yeah. Yeah, there's no excuse for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, no, for sure. What's the um, is there a uh, what's the best advice uh, you were ever given? Oh, the best advice I've I've ever been given related to fly fishing, huh? Well, you know, it could be like or just life in general. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that's a pretty that's a power <laughs> a loaded uh, question or however you want to put it. You know, I would say the best advice that I've ever been given was, was from Mel Krieger. Uh-huh. And that is, um, he, he asked us, uh, his students, to always recognize that they're ambassadors of the sport and to always be approachable and friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I was a long, young, uh, when I was really young in the fly fishing game, I can remember being on the Yakima and Cleelum rivers and, and, uh, on the east slopes of the Cascades, and, you know, I, I found this wonderful stretch of water on the Kalealum, and, you know, and there's a fly fisher there, and so rather than kind of stay back and watch and see how he's doing, you know, I got right into the his pocket of water. Not, mm. I didn't know, you know, right. I did not know. Yeah, and uh, he didn't react very well to that, <laughs> and I walked away from that encounter as like, wow, what a, what an jerk you know yeah. he's kind of a jerk right well not recognizing well i was the jerk because i didn't i didn't have the common courtesy i didn't have the knowledge so mel would have said look the way to do that is as an experienced fly fisher is to offer a bit of education to the individual that you just had an encounter with so one of the things that i always do when somebody approaches me and it's, it's happened to me you know i've had people kind of get close or want to talk about what i'm using how's the fishing going and to me, that's an opportunity for us to share our knowledge and, and really engage people in a positive way. So I always talk about, hey, man, isn't it great to be out here in this creation? Because this creation is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, this, I just love being out here and, um, and, and fishing and enjoying this. And it's great. What could, can I help you with anything? What can I do to do anything? Yeah. I want to fly. Here's a fly, <laughs> you know. And oh, by the way, there's a great hole, you know, 200 yards upstream here. Yep. <laughs> so, exactly. But, you know, so Mel would have said, you know, we have opportunities to engage people in a very positive way and, you know, look for those opportunities and 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 do it. You know, engage people in a positive way, bring them to the sport, you know, don't turn them off. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great way to put that. Um, do you have a uh, kind of a must uh, 
go-to uh, fishing destination that's, that's kind of on your on your list? Oh, you know, I really, um, you know, I, I'm primarily a trout fisherman, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, and I love the Pacific Northwest, so, you know, we really love North Idaho, um, uh, North Fork of Coeur d'Alene, the St. Joe, yeah. and on in Montana, the Clark Fork, um, and over the hump there, the Clearwater, the upper Clearwater is right. uh, pretty remarkable, Kelly Creek, those are pretty remarkable fisheries, mm-hmm. Um I'd have to say that I've probably spent more time on the Yakima okay. in Washington State than any place else. Um, the Upper Columbia is also a special water, uh, you know, from the Canadian border down to Northport. It's just stupid. It's it's so cool up there. Big fish, wonderful fishing. Yeah, it's it's a, that's a great fishery as well. Yeah, no, that's a great. Uh... Definitely, I've we've talked. The Yakima has come up a number of times, and and the Upper Columbia. I actually just had somebody recently tell me that uh, I need to go out and find a uh, a guest to talk about that fishery. So that's that's good stuff. Yeah, the Yakima. You could you could spend you could spend an eas- easily a week uh, just beginning to introduce yourself to the Yakima. There's the Upper Yakima. There's the lower. There's the Upper Canyon. There's the farmlands. There's the Lower Canyon. The Upper Yakima. We actually own property up there. And so we, I call that the holy water up there. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not the only one that calls that. I mean, it's it's fabulous. So, yeah, Yakima's great water. That's good stuff. What about, uh, this is kind of a random one on uh, your, your music. Do you have any favorite uh, bands or types of music you like to listen to? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, uh, uh, I'm an old school, you know, rock and roll guy. Uh-huh. I, you know, don't take this wrong, but I love Stephen Stills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, why would I so, take that wrong? This is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. <laughs> well, well, and actually, and Neil Young. So, uh, there, I have friends, particularly in the military, who say Neil Young, what a jerk. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole thing, right? Yeah, but I, but I, you know, I, I yeah. love, I love, uh, I love those. I love, I love some contemporary artists as well. But um, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of a '60s, '70s uh, yeah. rock guy. You know, I like. Uh, Oh gosh, Dire Straits. Oh yeah, another good one. That's no. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, yep. what's Dire Straits? One of their their big uh, songs was uh, what do you think? I guess Money for Nothing, right? <laughs> Money for Nothing or Something to Swing. You know, oh, yeah. all of those are really good. Yeah, good, yeah. cool, cool. All right, so uh, in your home river, I guess you're mentioning the Yakima or some of those up there. If you had to pick two flies for kind of the end of time, what, what would those two flies be? Well, you know, you're going to mention the Spokane River right in the heart of downtown. So that would be a Pat Stone. Okay. Um, you know, with maybe a, uh, a brassy or a lightning bug, you know, dangling from the backside of it. Um, you know, on the Adams dry fly, um, you know, it's kind of a great all purpose, uh, fly. Although, you know, foam hoppers and stuff on the Akama, you know, in August or in September, pretty, pretty killer so yeah have you ever have you ever tried the uh the missing link no you, you gotta you gotta give that one a shot i had uh oh uh, okay oh yeah yeah it was a classic uh a recent episode um uh, let's see if i can find it here uh yeah i had uh we were talking about from the reading fly shop um let me just grab this real quick. And we were chatting about it, about the best flies and same sort of thing, you know, your two, two, two. And, uh, so this was actually Mike Mercer, you know, from the, we were talking lower Sacramento river and, and he's got a right. bunch of flies he's designed, you know, tons of the psycho prints and all this stuff. Right. But the missing yeah. link is this one that's just this cool, it's kind of like an elk hair caddis. Anyways, I, I took it out on the, the next trip on mine and it was, I literally couldn't get the fish off the fly. It was, it was every cast and he's, he said the same thing. I think he might even said he quit, he quit using it. It was so good. So (laughs) for those that that didn't hear that episode, you you should listen to episode uh, 81 and and you can hear about that. I'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely do that. I'll I'll, I'll be all over my uh, uh, Google and that. The missing link. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. So, uh, so cool. Well, I think we're about there. So, in the next six to twelve months, anything you want to kind of let us know what's going on with uh, you personally or the FFI or anything else? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm really happy to announce that I'm retiring here at the end of this month. Oh wow! I thought I saw (laughs) something about that. Yeah, we've hired a new uh, president CEO, Patrick Berry, out of uh, 
uh, Vermont. Uh, he's an outstanding, he actually has a degree in, uh, from University of Montana and guided in the Missoula area uh, for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, pretty well known. Um, a lot of connections in the fly fishing world, a really dynamic guy, very exciting. Um, certainly he has the ability to, to really do some pretty cool things uh, with our organization, so we're looking forward to that. He actually starts here on uh, July 15th. So, um, and so the expo will be in Bozeman. I believe that's the 26th through the uh, 25th, 26th and 27th. Uh, So I'm headed there in two weeks and um, yeah. So those are the the big things that are going on right now. And yeah, organization is in great shape, but I'm, you know, looking forward to the future. That's good stuff. Okay. So if they want to find uh, you or the, uh, any of the resources we talked about, flyfishersinternational.org uh, is the best place to go. That is correct. Yep. All right, Len. And well, I, I yeah. always tell people, anybody, anybody has any questions for me, you know, find my number. Uh, and I'm always, oh, my, my life is 24-7, 365. So uh-huh. I enjoy talking fly fishing with anybody. So, so to track you down, is it just go to the website or do you have any other places? Just go to the website. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, just go to the website. Yep. All right, all perfect. Right. Perfect. Well, thanks for uh, thanks all for right. all the information, and I think I definitely have a different uh, perspective on it, and hopefully this helps a few people understand what, what uh, FFI is all about. So, uh, yeah, until we connect Fantastic. again, we'll yep. talk to you later. Thank you. All right, all right see right, ya. Bye. Bye. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash you guessed it FFI that's uh, wetflyswing.com slash FFI please take a moment and head over to Facebook search uh, for wetflyswing and uh, follow us so you can keep up with our antics over there thanks again for stopping by check out the show today I'm looking forward to catching up to you soon and hope to maybe see you online or on the river thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes.